Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello. <laughs> I've never done that before. We, we went to say it at the, the same, same time. time. Well, that's weird. And then we went to say that at the same time. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you, Lucy? Good. I good, but I I feel like good. You know, taking a weird into thing consideration to say. Yeah. the state of our our Entire world, world. Um, and our country in Australia at the moment. Mm. The floods in Queensland are absolutely devastating, and then what's happening? It's crazy that we just mentally, you know, you came to terms with the fact that the world, there's, you know, a possible war coming Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. within a few days, that's not the top news. Like if you go on news.com or whatever now, it's that, you know, there's these floods in Queensland. So obviously we're sending all of our love to everyone who has been affected um, and we're thinking of you and, yeah, we just I just can't imagine. And it's just, it's a lot, it's just for everyone, I feel like for our mental capacity right now of mm. what we've just gone through over the past two years, mm. it's just a lot to, just it's just more and more of sadness. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, it's been really beautiful to see the community up north come together and really help each other out. And um, I suppose if you're not, up there there is like other ways you can support and one shout out we will have is to the give it um, dot org foundation we'll put that in our show notes so you guys can check it out um, but it's just got useful information there on ways you can help out whether that's donating items or money or volunteering um, it's just a good resource if you do want to help out but yeah thinking of everyone up there Oh, absolutely. And the, yeah, that is a good one because I think with that, that way people can, in the community, can buy what they need. So Whatever I think have, logistically, yeah. obviously sending stuff off is great, but I think that's actually a better option because sometimes logistics can be really hard. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. I think as well, one thing that I've been trying to really focus on this week is only consuming or being conscious of my consumption of the news. Yeah. I, I think that's really important that it is, I think sometimes we can feel so guilty for not thinking about, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and then yeah. thinking about what's happening in Queensland. And if you're not looking at it, then you, you feel really bad about it. But I think yeah. it's also really important to acknowledge that we've just been through a lot and yeah. be conscious with your consumption. It's obviously important to be aware, but don't feel like you need to, you know, be constantly. On. Or maybe Checking depending out. if you've watched a lot of it on TikTok, then you yeah. might go on TikTok and all you see is, is that type of content. So just I think conscious consumption is, is really important too. Yeah, it can be all-consuming. I think particularly when there's things that – there's a lot out of our control Mm. and it's hard when it's something that's out of your control and yet you consume it constantly it's just like this battle internally how do how am I going to make myself feel better or like make help how can I help in this situation so yeah it is something to to definitely be mindful of thank you for the reminder yeah and now it is one more on a more positive note (laughs) it is International Women's Day week which is really exciting it's such an important day it's really important to ensure that we don't just like think Valentine's about Day. women um, <laughs> and the inequality in this year being break the bias, which is so important that we don't just think about it on Today. the 8th of yeah, March. Yeah. Every single year yeah. it's really important that we're thinking about women and gender equality because we have got a long way to go yeah. every single day. Um, and we're really excited to share this podcast with you. And, and we did want to acknowledge as well the bias that we spoke about in this podcast was very much workplace bias. However, there is so much, I think, for, for us, Steph, as two white women, yep. we have, as women, yes, there 
there are stereotypes against yeah. us and we can be discriminated against. However, for other communities, it's even harder. And absolutely. so we really wanted to acknowledge that. And we just, we have got so far to go. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a special share? I do have a special share, yes. So this special share, um, I heard about this show through Kath. Who, Kath Ebbs was on our podcast a few weeks back now. and Highly recommend listening highly to recommend that episode if you haven't. Ever since we met her, I've just felt like I want to be around her. I don't know if that yeah, sounds very was. weird, but she's just got <laughs> such a good energy. So like I've tried to follow her on like everything that I possibly can. I'm like sliding into her DMs <laughs> all the time. Um, but I do want to shout out to her um, – um, show on TikTok called Self Care. So they have it, the um, sorry the episode series. If you search Self Care series on TikTok, it'll come up, and it's it's supported by the Body Shop, and it's just such a it's so beautiful because it's showing like important you know big transitions that you go through, but also. Um, there's quite a lot of light humour in it and they're all incredible actors that are on board. Sam actually, Samantha is another oh, she's TikToker. A, she's a TikToker. Yeah, yes, that yes, I yes, love yes. and she's on it and she's just fantastic. But yeah, it, it's been really enjoyable to watch and I think what you said earlier about like watching what you're consuming and, you know, wanting to be mindful of the news around the world and obviously keep up to date. At the same time, I've really been enjoying balancing that out with watching things like this where it's it's lighthearted I mean there's obviously some messaging messages in there that are important but it's it's lighthearted and it makes you have a little bit of a giggle and a smile and so yeah I wanted to shout that out I love I love I second that recommendation I have loved watching mm. them and they're really they're, are they two minutes? three minutes three or minutes. two to three minutes three yeah. minutes so if you how many are there's quite a few there's quite a few out already so, so you if you go and watch you could do a bit of a binge and it's not like a binge is going to take you <laughs> a couple like of days it's <laughs> <laughs> taking maybe 20 minutes so no highly recommend watching that um as well and my special share this week in when I was going through all of the there's some incredible content on the International Women's Day website and Lean In Org which we speak about some of these stats in the podcast Mm. they've done an incredible presentation and deck on 50 ways to fight bias and I really encourage downloading it we'll put the link in the show notes you just have to sign up to it's free but you just have to sign up to the international women's day website create an account it is free and it takes two minutes um, and then you can access all of the resources and what i found it's actually in a presentation form where you could present it to your team if you wanted to there is a page around which we do speak about a little bit in the podcast, the specific types of bias. And I think we so often think of bias in terms of maternal bias mm-hmm. uh, and then likability, maybe performance, but there's actually so many different types of biases that women face. And I was not aware of all of them and I found it really interesting to read about it. I think the more we're educated on it, the more we can call it out and the more we can stop it from mm-hmm. happening. So I really recommend downloading that resource if you have time. Good one. Thanks. So now, kick updates. Also, because International Women's Day is such an exciting day. Mm. And so we love to celebrate at that kick. And we have got a 24-hour International Women's Day sale on. And what we have done this year is we've got 50% off our quarterly membership. So... Our quarterly membership is for three months and usually it's $50, but at the moment for three months of kick, it is only $24.47. So less than $10 a month for kick. Uh, And it is ending 
midnight tonight. So yeah. <laughs> you have to get in quick. Um, it is also the only way to access the sale is through our website. So you can sign up to keep it cleaner via our website, create your account, and then you can download the app. We also have content. You can log into the website as well. So it is available. The sale is available at www.keepitcleaner.com. So that's for 50% off our quarterly membership. Very exciting. And on Sunday, we dropped our IBS friendly recipe series. You may have tuned into our podcast with Liv Morrison last week. Um, If you didn't and you want to learn a little bit more about IBS, you can go back and listen to that episode. But we hope that you guys, if you've already jumped in and tried some of the recipes, are loving them. Or if you haven't, this is your reminder to do so. So today we are speaking to Em and Shelly, who are from my millennial career. Em has a recruiting background and Shelly has a HR background. So they have a fantastic podcast. They speak about many things that women face in the workplace. Highly recommend listening to their podcast and we are so excited to have them on. Em and Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so excited to speak to you both today. It's such a pleasure. I um, I actually told my team that I was coming to chat with you guys and they just went, oh my God, I love those girls. Like, oh. I was so <laughs> jealous. We're so strange. Like, when we saw the message come through, we're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Please, please, please. Oh, yeah. that's so smart. <laughs> Thank you. No, and um, we're big, big fans of what you do. And when we were planning our episode for the week of International Women's Day, we spent a lot of time working through what the focus would be. And with this year's theme to break the bias, which affects women in so many ways, we wanted to really focus in on how this affects women in the workplace. So we thought you would be the perfect two to, to speak to about this. And it's something for Steph and I that we have both experienced in some way, especially with stereotypes around women. And we wanted to ask you both to start with when you read this year's theme what did it mean to you both yeah wow break the bias it's such a great theme for this year for me and em and i was talking offline about this what does it actually mean for each of us individually and it's quite different our interpretation as a mom so i'm a mom of two and i think one of the things that's really stood out to me as a woman in my career has been how do you navigate having a career and being a mum. And one of the challenges we see for so many women, especially when they get into that age between, you know, 26 to 30-ish, when they start thinking about when they want to have kids and is this sense of I'm either or. So I'm one or the other. I'm either full-time mum or I'm a career woman and you perpetually feel guilty about one area or the other. And I think... One of the areas that I would love to see us break the bias is giving mums more opportunity when it comes to their career. How do we give more choices? It shouldn't be either or, it should be both and. How do I have an awesome a career that I love but be able to be engaged in my, my role, which is one of our most important roles as a, as a mum and not feel the sense of guilt that I'm not succeeding in one of those areas? And so for me, break the bias It really does come down to giving women, working mums and mums that want to get back into the workforce but feel all these barriers, opportunities. When I first heard this theme, I just loved the strength of how break the bias sounds and it's probably coming from that word break. It's got that forcefulness to it. It's got that push to it and it feels like it's got, I guess, a real sense of intention as well and look, I can probably be accused at times of being a bit of a pusher and that doesn't, (laughs) for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that 
that that's a bad thing. It just means that I've got a sense of ambition, I've got a sense of drive, and I've got a sense of wanting things to be better. And so I really found that there was something in this idea of break the bias for me that resonated when I thought about, well, how am I going to take ownership of actually intentionally recognising that there is bias in the workplace and then doing something about it? Um, even that descriptive word is pusher. I mean, like, have we ever called a man a pusher? Like, no, we stay driven in that And at times I have explored this sense of do I have a more masculine style in the workplace and do I need to, you know, play that up, play that down? Do I need to think about what would be more typically feminine traits? At the end of the day, I, I just try and work on being comfortable with what my strengths are and, and using yeah. those to my advantage. And if at times that means that I'm more emotional or I'm less emotional, then I'll just roll with it and reflect and, and just try and be the best version of me that I can. But you're right. I, I felt the same around that masculinity of, of the word. Yeah, absolutely. And Charlotte, I love that you touched on, you know, motherhood because I, I listened to your parental leave podcast, you know, back in 2020. And when you said that for you, it was more about finding a blend rather than a balance between work life and home life. I thought that was so good. And, and what you just said then about bringing opportunities so that you can have both. I mean, that that's exactly what I've been trying to do as well. It, it, when I use the word balance, it just, it brings like on anxiety because I just yeah. don't feel like I'm doing it. <laughs> but when you use the word blend, I was like, that's, that's it. That's such a good word to describe it. Oh, totally. And I think it's really funny because there's, I, I think we buy into so many lies about work like I have in myself found, and especially once you, once I've had my second bub, Bowie, he's a year. So in the first um, five months of his little life, I remember just thinking the whole time, crap, I've got to get back to work. I'm going to be disadvantaged. I'm going to be like my, my career track is going to be really impacted. And I think like why is it that mums get, get negatively like – I have all these negative implications of, of and that's what um, we call the motherhood penalty. So you, you take this step out of the workforce and you're disadvantaged because of it. And I think that if we could break the bias around becoming a mum and that if you're a mum, you've, you've got these two distinct roles and you, you're going to find it difficult to do both, I just think that's crap. Like, honestly, that's just crap. We need to see that change and workplaces, that's the responsibility of the workplace, of the employer, to start creating opportunities so that Em isn't calling herself a pusher. She's just saying, this is mm. who I am, I'm driven. And why can't you be bloody driven? And even for somebody, I think, out there, and I'm one of these people who hasn't yet had children, but I'd love to think that that's an option that I have in life. I would like to feel as though I'm safe as though when that time comes, I can safely make the decision to have whatever amount of time feels right for me off. And then, yeah, that hard work that I've been doing for the last 10 to 12 years of my career, it's not going to feel like it's going to disappear. Oh, absolutely. A fear I'm sure, you know, many of us face. But Lean In All created a great toolkit to help drive change. And in their research, you know, they, they covered a lot of the bias. We've obviously just touched on motherhood and, and even just slightly on likability um but others are things like you know performance attribution and throughout both of your careers in what you do is through HR and recruitment 
What are the most common biases you've identified in women and how have they played out in the workplace? The first one that's come to mind for me and and certainly I've got my recruitment hat on here is the familiarity bias. So that's this idea that we like what we're familiar with. We like similarity to ourselves and so often we will sit as a recruitment team in front of a client, so one of the organisations that we'll be hiring for, and unconsciously the brief is filled with we want what we've had before or we want somebody that is similar to us that believes in the same things as us. And when you're recruiting in an organisation, you've got to walk a line of, of culture fit. And we've often heard about this idea of culture fit I think that what we need to be careful of, though, is that it's not culture fit in a biased way. And, you know, I could talk for a long time to try and unpack what that really means and how you navigate through that. But that's probably the first thing that came to mind for me. And so the trick is certainly, well, how do we find people that we feel like will fit and thrive in our organisation because we do share the same values, but at the same time bring a level of diversity of thought, whether that be through gender differences or or otherwise. We were, um, for International Women's Day on our podcast, we're interviewing Mary Wooldridge. She's the director of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. And so she's, she was chatting to us about agreeableness. And as women, um, the the, the agreeableness sometimes works in it to our disadvantage, it doesn't advantage us. So we you know, in a pay conversation, you get offered a pay rise or whatever and potentially our male counterparts argue or negotiate for more and we may not, as women, do that as as much or we don't, it's not seen as favourably. So even if we do negotiate, it's not um, given the, yeah, good, no worries, we'll give you that pay rise. And I think that's a really tricky area to navigate. And I know Lean In have talked a lot about this around um, how women and men, men can do have a tough conversation and it's seen as assertive and healthy and women can have that same conversation and it's seen as aggressive. And so it's a really difficult position to be in. Like how do we actually approach those conversations being mindful that the way we might be perceived is, is negative? And one of the things I think each of us needs to do is get more confident with asking for what we want. How do we become less accepting of the status quo? How do we all have these conversations? Because if, we're, if more of us are doing it, everyone rises with that. Whereas if there's only a handful, well, then they're seen as, as aggressive. It's like, no, I think we all need to be asking more frequently for what we want at work. And like anything in life, if more of us are doing it, it normalises it. It becomes more familiar. And so in any change, which is what, we're really experiencing here you know we check in every year on international women's day but this is going on every day of the week we're experiencing a change process so there's going to be a level of discomfort and the more of us that can feel confident on that tuesday morning at 11 o'clock when we need to have that conversation to just do something a little bit differently then over time that tidal wave will be created and it'll be normal. It, it won't be a thing anymore. That's the ultimate goal. Mm, yeah, I love that. I think that's so powerful. And I, I completely agree around the likability. I think as as women, if you kind of put to paper, and this is obviously, it seems so crazy that it kind of seems like I'm talking in the 1900s or the, in literally 1912 or something, but it's still now, if you put down like what a good woman versus what a good man is, the traits for the female are 
being agreeable, being likable, not speaking too much um, and all of those things. Absolutely. I think – I can't remember the exact show. It was a show on the ABC and they had um, – one of their panellists was a female and – she uh, after the show there was all of this negative feedback that came in about her because she spoke too much and she was too loud and and she was too opinionated and they did the research and and they looked at how many minutes she actually spoke and how much of the show she actually took up compared to her male counterparts and she actually took up less and so it's we're just not used to women speaking up and you know having an opinion and we you're right we just the more we we do it, the more it will become normalised, as it should be, and then we can actually make the change. Similarly, there's been a study done where they uh, basically surveyed students about, I think it was students about their team. Oh, no, it must have been employees in the workplace. Forgive me. So employees about a boss that they would find more favourable. And the only change they made to that boss's persona was their name. So it either had a female name or a male name. Everything else remained the same. And yet the male came out on top as being a more favourable leader and the female name, albeit it was the same leadership style, same persona, was less favourable. So similar line of thinking and fascinating and horrifying as well. Oh, it is, isn't it? And I wonder as well, in in the research that Lean In did, they found that 60% of women had experienced bias. And I thought that was super interesting. It's obviously very high, but I I do believe it would actually be much higher than that because I suppose that's the conscious, the ones that have actually identified it. Because when I was reading through the different types of bias, a few of them I had never heard of before. And so I think that stat is probably more, you know, 90% or something because that's kind of just just the women that have actually realised it and maybe the more obvious signs of, of bias but there are so many what, what do you both think of, of that do you, do you agree that it was it's probably higher than that I do and and for a similar reason to what you've just described Laura I feel as though we need to educate ourselves first on what biases exist not only so that we can be better people but also as you say so we can identify those experiences that we're a part of uh, with others and it's only once we actually know that those uh, those things exist that we can then mark it on a piece of paper that, yep, I've experienced that. If you don't know, then you're not going to be able to contribute to that statistic. So I'd be happy to jump on board and agree with you there. The other thing to think about is bias is really pervasive. So if you think about the like insidious nature of bias, it's often hard for us to actually dig into where does that come from and how deep is that in my own thinking and mindset. And I remember when I was at uni, um, we did this thing called an implicit association test. And essentially it's, it's helping you identify your bias. So one of the things that I found, it's a Harvard test. It's really amazing. I'd encourage your listeners and we can get the link and put it in the show notes to do the test. It only takes, I don't know, five or 10 minutes max, but they've done it with a lot of organizations and so many, like, I think it's, it's up there in like, I don't know how many million people have done it, but it helps you identify the areas that you have your own bias that you didn't know about. And so for me, it was really confronting actually. I did the test and it came up that I myself have a bias against women in leadership. And I think, holy crap, like I work in HR. I, I, I know about cognitive and subconscious bias and all of the things that come with it. And yet so deeply ingrained in my thinking mm. is this subconscious bias. And so bring that, actually having that come to my attention. Now, when I sit in on interview panels, I'm very conscious of it. And I'm very conscious of 
hey, if I need to be aware of my own weaknesses in this area and really try to proactively counteract that because it just, it's like this, this river that's run and it's run really deep and it's hard to change that course. And so we need to be, bring it to our awareness first before we can actually start to see the shift. So I'd encourage you jump on, do it. If you're an organizational leader and you're listening, please get this test into your organization because it is really helpful to just bring this stuff to the surface. Oh, absolutely. And I, th- I think as well, as you speak to that on Tuesday, there will be a lot of people that and a lot of corporate workplaces that will stand around and they'll have a morning tea. And as the male senior leadership team speaks to, you know, they might have a quite gender um, equal actual, if you added all the people up in the organisation, maybe women are equal, except in the leadership, that's absolutely not the case. And so we'll have a situation where, you know, there's a morning tea and the male executive team is speaking about how they we need to acknowledge the bias and, you know, we acknowledge the bias and all of those things. But then that is all. And I, I just absolutely think that acknowledging the bias is not enough. Obviously, what this year is about is breaking the bias. So I wanted to ask, ask you both, what do you think organisations can actually do to make change as opposed to just make a statement to tick the box on International Women's Day. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're like, we need to acknowledge it and we have a little morning tea and then we're like, all right, no worries, see you next year. (laughs) Um, Mm. So there's heaps of things that organisations can do and it really comes down to exactly what you said, Laura, like action. So how do we take action rather than just verbally acknowledge something but do nothing about it? couple of things. So interview panels are really important. We want to have a diverse group on an interview panel. So we need to have different people from different demographics represented. The other thing that I have seen that I really loved on an interview panel, I worked with this guy, he's super talented and he was very self-aware and he would say on an interview panel and as well in, in leadership meetings, he would say, hey, I just want to let you know of my bias. I have a bias here and I can tell that I'm warming to this candidate and I don't know if that's um, a bit to do with a bias or to do with me just liking that person, but I want to acknowledge it and I want you to challenge me. And I was like, he just opened the way for us to be like, oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, no, you are you are being a bit, you you are being a bit of a jerk or no, like, no, you're right. Like, (laughs) and, and so I think just having that openness to kind of call it out and he was, I just loved that approach. It was such a refreshing thing that I hadn't seen done before. And then it started this pattern on panels where we all started to adopt that. I, you've just sparked for me, uh, we were talking earlier about this idea of walking the line between what we feel is a sense of culture fit versus what could actually be our bias in disguise. And we are so often led through a recruitment process by our gut feel and by that pub test of would I want to go and have a drink with them. And I think while it's important that we like the people we work with and we're respectful of those people and we get along with them, to be able to find mechanisms through a recruitment process, which is quite structured, should be easy enough for us. And yet we don't do it as standard practice. And so to add another idea to what Shell has shared in particular about calling out your own bias as you're, uh, I guess, assessing candidates, but also having a diverse interview panel, right back at the beginning, I'd really encourage organisations to consider reviewing resumes blind. So actually having the names and any other, I guess, gender identifying or bias sort of risk uh, 
information removed from those resumes before you look at them. And then that way, all you're assessing is for as long as possible, I mean, at some point you've got to meet this person, right? But for as long as possible, all you're assessing is their accomplishments and their skills and their qualifications and the experience that they bring to the table. So I think that's a really practical thing. On the flip side, and I guess this is where Shell and I don't necessarily share notes beforehand, so we sometimes come along with similar ideas. I really like often when let me backtrack often when we're working on projects so quite task orientated in our workplace we'll do a project debrief so we'll do the pre-briefing at the beginning and we'll do a debrief at the end and that debrief allows us the opportunity to go well what went wrong what could we do better next time and as I say so often that's based around tasks you know what are those practical things that we'd, we'd improve on for next time I would encourage organizations to include in that in that debrief a look at their biases, you know, what bias was applied through this project. Hopefully it minimises over time because we get better at calling them out beforehand and along the way. But what bias existed and how can we make sure that that doesn't exist or that is minimised, eliminated to the best of our ability next time we do this project as well? Because at the end of the day, even projects are just a collection of humans achieving outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Something else you both often speak about is you know, how important it is for women to actually own their career and and be proud. And that is really such a powerful way for us to think about our careers and really anything in life. Can you talk more about this? Yeah, I'm like, hold me back, Shell. Because uh, I can <laughs> tell <laughs> baby. Like she's like, you need, everyone needs to own their career. I'm so passionate about this. It is so this. important. You know, nobody is a mind reader. So you're right. This applies to the workplace as much as it applies to life. Absolutely, we need to consider how we go about this. But at the end of the day, if you don't ask for something or you don't put it out there on the table that you're chasing something or that you're interested in an idea or an opportunity, nobody is going to know. You're not guaranteed that anybody else is going to be in your corner rooting you on and seeing those opportunities for you. Now, I often disclaimer this with, yeah, you absolutely need at times a heavy dose of patience tons of hard work. You really need to earn those opportunities. But along the way, please advocate for yourself. Please let people know that that's what's on your radar, even just when it's a bit of an idea that you maybe don't feel fully confident in or it's not fully formed. You have no idea, particularly in the workplace, what else is happening around you. It's constantly moving, constantly evolving. And there's very few people, perhaps only the CEO of an organisation who consistently across businesses will know everything that's going on and every moving part. And even then, the CEO probably doesn't. So the more that you can share what you're after, and for me, that's really taking ownership because you're vocalising what you want, the more chance you have that those people will also have their ears and eyes open and they'll come back to you and say, maybe three months later, hey, Remember that time you told me you were you were sort of seeking out this opportunity or if this ever came up, you'd be interested. I just wanted to let you know that there's actually some conversations happening. Would you mind if I raised your name or if I passed on your details? Now, if three months ago you didn't have the conversation to put it on that person's radar, and this can be water cooler chat, it doesn't have to be in a formal review of any kind, then they will never have thought of you and you'll never hear about it. I... I love hearing you talk about this because you really have such a passion to help people get further by taking ownership over those conversations. The other thing I think about, um, and I've been doing these career clarity calls with people lately, and one of the things I've seen is people don't 
they they don't seem to like to ask for help because uh, maybe we see it as a as a sign of weakness like oh hey Steph I'd really love to chat to you about this area I think you can help me with and for whatever reason it makes us feel vulnerable maybe but one of the things that happens when we ask someone for help and I just love to say if you need help people want to help you like if you're working in an organization that's half decent there are people in that organization that want to help you get further and they want to help you progress. So just recognizing, you know what, it's actually okay for me to ask someone to help me. It's okay for me to find someone in this business and say, hey, Laura, could you, would you consider mentoring me? Like I would love to sit down and I'll buy you lunch once a quarter and we can, um, I just want to learn from you. Like you've got all these amazing things that you've done. How can we set that up? And you know what? A little bit of that sometimes makes the other person think, oh, yeah, no one's asked me to mentor them before, but actually I'd love to do that. I'd love to give back. So how do we actually start those conversations? Asking for help is not a bad thing. And actually it really does connect to this thing of bias because the more mentors we have, the more we're able to break down bias, the more male mentors that help women, the more likely they are to understand the barriers for women and help them overcome those hurdles. Yeah, that's so, so, so powerful. And I think as well, it's something that for a lot of us, we don't want to reach out or ask because um, we just, oh, why would they reply to us or they don't have time? But but I think you're so right in that often, I think as humans, innately, we want to help people. And so it's actually super fulfilling if someone, you know, asks a question. And, and I always think as well, especially in at Kick and in our workplace, when people ask questions, it's fantastic because it means they're interested and they're Engaged. curious. And yeah, and curiosity is so fantastic. But I think especially so often as women, we don't ask questions because we don't want to be seen as not knowing the answer or we yeah, should hustle. know this, so I'm not going to ask. And then you're never learning and growing. Particularly if you consider, if there's ever been a moment for you where someone's come to you a month later and said, oh, actually, yeah, I'm doing this really cool thing. I was going to ask you to be a part of it, but I just know how busy you are. So I just didn't want to bother you with it. And what they've actually done in that moment and what you're doing if you stop yourself from asking a person to be your mentor or to support you in some other way is you are actually robbing them of that decision-making opportunity for themselves. So even if that person doesn't have the capacity or interest at the time to be your mentor, let them make that decision rather than making it for them. Absolutely. And I can imagine that would happen very often for women with children as well. Oh, they won't want to come because they've got kids and it'll be too hard. So I think that's such a, a good thing to remind us all of to let it, yeah let everyone make their own decision. And especially when bias comes into it, which I assume with parental bias, bias it would come in all the time. I wanted to go back to talk about executive teams, leadership teams and the lack of women across it all because I think a lot of workplaces think that we have got an equal, they tick the box of having an equal employee base of women and men and then they are done and they've ticked their box for the year but what is not what they haven't ticked is that the women are in the lower paying roles um, and they're not in key decision making roles they and the men are in the more executive roles and on the boards I wanted to read out some of the latest stats from the workplace gender equality agency which is the government website 
currently in key management positions, only 32.5% are women. Directors, only 28.1% are women. CEOs, 18.3% are women. And then board chairs, 14.6% are women. So I think these stats are, and that, that this is in the Australian workforce, and in the Australian workforce, women make up 50.5% of the workplace overall. So there is not a lack of women in the workforce, it is that there's a there's a lack of women in in the senior senior roles, and I think as well, especially with CEO roles and board roles, they often come from a CFO who then will go into a CEO, which in the CF usually CFOs are males, and there's just so many things and biases within there that stop women from getting into these positions. And I just think we need to do so much more. So I wanted to ask both of you from a HR and then a recruitment perspective, what can we do to get more women in executive positions and key management positions and decision making positions, um, and just change because we're just we're so far. As soon as you think we've come, you know anywhere we have come you know if you look back to 1920 when women couldn't have a job sure but I mean that's a very low bar and I don't know I just when I read that I just think oh my goodness I thought we'd come so far and we just haven't Mm, wow this is (laughs) oh this week we did in that interview with Mary Wildridge from the uh, Gender Equality Agency, we really allowed ourselves to be confronted by the pain of this statistic. So let's look at the CEO one. One in five CEOs are women. Like we should be really concerned by that. Because again, think about the workforce distribution, 50% of the workforce are female. And yet what is it about that CEO role that we're not seeing those women get to that level? You think about how many female dominated industries there are. There's a lot of female dominated Mm. industries and yet that statistic is still there. And I work, let's go kind of upstream from there and look at some of the, what I would consider the macro reasons we don't get we don't see women represented at that senior, like the C-suite level. I think part-time employment and flexibility is crucial to this problem. So if you go on and you do a little Google search of how many part-time executive roles are out there, it's, it's concerning. Whereas I think what is it about our culture and the way that we see roles that this executive role must be full-time? Because instantly for anyone like myself that, you know, wants to be invested with my kids but also have a really successful career, well, then there's a hurdle, there's a barrier. And if we want to change the representation, we need to change how we do the role design. We need to change what we want to, what we think is performance. Performance is not a bum on a seat for 38 or 50 hours a week whatever that is. It's not about a full-time metric. It's let's create roles that get the best people, not roles that fit an hour, tick this box and you're in because we're eliminating the amount of women who are able to actually say, yes, I want that. And we know, and I know your listeners will be here like giving the thumbs up saying, we're ambitious. We want to get those senior roles. We want to progress and so we need to remove those hurdles and part-time for me and flexibility is a massive one. Another part of the conversation that we had with Mary that has really stayed with me is that immediately out of university, we will see that gender inequality between a male and a female who have done the same study and are applying for the same job. And as I reflect, I think we're actually stuck in this vicious 
almost cycle of, well, the majority of C-level or executive positions are filled with males. Let's use this familiarity bias example that I've been banging on about all episode and go, okay, well, we apply that. All of a sudden, we've got 50% of the workforce or a touch over even 50.5% are females. They're coming into the workforce. Not only are they starting on the back foot straight out of their study, but they're also going through recruitment processes and selection processes and development programs throughout their career that are being halted at the point that I'm just going to call it out, the recruitment process for that executive role kicks in. We've got males making the decision with an unconscious familiarity bias that we need to all start calling out and doing something about. And so we're just stuck. And so I come back to this idea of break the bias and I go, oh, all of a sudden that continues to make so much sense because we really need to just cut this thing in half, absolutely shatter it and put it back together in a way that's going to mean that that 50% is more accurately represented at an executive level and so then we start to eliminate the bias that exists there in recruitment processes and look not to uh, sort of put a hat on that maybe I'm not qualified to wear which is that mum hat but the other thing that came out of this conversation that I've really been reflecting on is what are we doing as you know not only parents but also people who perhaps mentor young people, kids. I know at times I have gone and spoken at high schools or I have people in my family who are younger than me. I think about what we see in advertising and on TV. What are we doing that says you should be a nurse versus you should be a doctor or you should be a teacher versus you should be a tradie? And that was something I know really hit you as well, Shell, because you've been reflecting on that with, with your two young kids. So, And the language is – and this is where language becomes really important. Like what is the message? What is uh, part of those generational norms and trends that we need to, again, identify, bring to the surface and say to my four-year-old daughter, Sunny, go be an engineer. Like go do it. Like if you, she's so detail oriented, she'd probably do really well. Like I'm just, it's how do you call that out in your in your kids and we're signaling to the next generation because we don't want to be here 30 years from now still banging on about gender pay gap, about the number of men versus women in CEO roles. So let's, how do we help that next generation coming up see a different dynamic to what we've seen through our careers? And so if as individuals uh, we can recognise in ourselves those moments where these things come out of our mouth, none of us are, are immune from it, none of us are completely innocent. Uh, an example I would give, which is not quite workplace related, but I think still plays into how young boys and girls grow up thinking they should behave. I was on holidays last week and I was at the beach and I was... I actually ranted and raved to, to my boyfriend about this at the time because I, I went past a couple of families hanging out and they all had young kids and I heard one of the mums say, basically, do you guys want to play a game of tips? But then it was followed with, the boys will really love that. It's a boy game. The girls probably won't want to do it. And I'm thinking, what, run around? Like little girls don't want to run around. And for me, it was just this moment of like shock and I as I say I'll put my hand up and I'm sure there are things that come out of my mouth that I need to give my myself a little slap over the back of the head at times but it really is about just being so conscious of that language that we we sometimes don't even realize slips out but does play into what they then choose to do with themselves through schooling and and through their career as well. I love that I love that and it's it, it's something I'm trying to be incredibly conscious of as well I think it is something that 
when you when you do kind of have little kids around you. I mean, Harvey's only ten months old, but even still, it's it's being conscious of making sure that he always knows that there is so many different directions or options in life, and it's not a cookie cutter kind of situation for him. So yeah, I love that you guys touched on that. Um, I think to finish off, it'd be really special. So we've got quite a young audience. Um, I mean, it's it's broad, but coming up through their careers, we want to make sure that women are, are really empowered and, um, you know, don't let bias get in the way and hold them back. So what are three big pieces of advice you could share to finish on for the listeners? All right, I'll start and then, Shell, perhaps you can finish and we'll probably cross paths somewhere (laughs) along this advice. Anyway, um, the first thing that I would recommend, uh, while we've absolutely all agreed action is critical, uh, it does start with awareness and so I would encourage everybody to take advantage, in particular we've mentioned the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, take advantage of that website to educate yourselves because that education will actually bring more credibility to the conversations and the actions that you then take. In particular, I'd like to call out that if you're an organisation over 100 people, there's actually a requirement that you report on an annual basis in regards to the gender pay gap. And then that is published on that website. So if you're working in a business at the moment that would be required to go and and produce that report, go and have a sticky beak, take a look. I'm not sure if you'll like what you find. I hope you do. But either way, you'll be better for it. And if you don't work for an organisation of that size, I dare say you'll still find some interesting information. Maybe think about target organisations that you'd like to have be a part of your career or other organisations that you've heard of, maybe your friends work for, and just start to suss them out. Can I take two things? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So two things that I think in relation to this. The first is, or the second point to Ams is, if you see bias, say something. If you see it, say something. And sometimes it's easier to say something when it's not about you. So I remember I had a really hectic thing happen where um, I realised I was being paid less than my male counterpart in the same role. So that's called unequal pay. That's not lawful um, in my very early part of my career. And I made a conscious decision in that moment to actually go and talk to my manager about that. It was a really complicated situation, but... Um, I think it's hard sometimes to say something about your own situation. But if you're in a position and you see something happening to someone else, it's it can be a lot easier to be an advocate and an ally for someone else than really put yourself out there about your own dynamics. So I'd encourage everyone, you should absolutely call out if you see it for yourself, but also look around. And if you're, your colleague, you can see that there's bias, be it um, for any kind of reason, call it out, say something. And yeah, we need to approach that conversation wisely because I recognise they're messy types of discussions. But the more we do it, the more we are change agents in our organisation. So go and approach your boss and say, I've noticed this. How can we have more discussions about this? I'm concerned that this person's being excluded or they're being overlooked for opportunities and I want to be able to raise that. And I'm going to interrupt you because it's the least I can do given that you're you're having two out of three <laughs> of these pieces of advice. Uh, I think those little mini scripts are really helpful. So another one or two that I would add if you are seeing something and you feel like you should say something, you can also use the line, I think there could be another perspective on this. Mm. Because that's very non-threatening. I've also recently had uh, an interaction myself where I felt like there was bias in play and 
I got to the point where, yeah, I felt like I needed to say something because I was watching, I was listening and I'm like, now's my time. And I recall one of the things that came out of my mouth was, I think we can be better. Mm. And so that's not saying we need to be perfect. Again, I think it's quite non-threatening because most people, particularly in the workplace, want to be the best version that they can be. So I think we can be better. But also using that language, we. Mm. When you're a part of the conversation, if you say, let's do this or, you know, we could do this, it's a real belief statement and it's very collective. So again, not as threatening. So there's a few, I think, between us, a few little lines in there that hopefully will help anyone listening to, to call it out when they see it. Yeah, I love that. I love those. It's so helpful to put language around it. The last thing that both of us would say, and actually it's probably more you who says this than me, but I'm going to... Go on, take the credit. (laughs) No, it's fine. (laughs) Um, I... It's really interesting and it's such... it's, It's a prevalent issue for women when it comes to their career. And right now, wherever you're at in your career, I would encourage you, take a step before you're ready. You don't have to meet 100% of the selection criteria when you're going for a job. You don't have to feel like you've got it all together. One of the things that I've been uh, learning myself, but also encouraging lots of people that um, mentor or coach, you don't have to have it all sorted. Be bold, take a step, you've got this, and know that the guys out there who are going for these roles as well, if they only meet 50% of that criteria for that job, they're still putting their name forward. So do it. Like, be brave. Yeah, hear, hear. I agree. Love that. That is such good advice to end on. Thank you so much to both of you for your time for today and for sharing all of the wisdom. Um, I got so much out of it and, and I'm sure our community will too. So thank you so much. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks, Laura and Steph, for having us. We um, we felt quite privileged, as we said at the beginning. So <laughs> we could sit here and we could continue <laughs> <going> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> uh, But you're right, we should wrap up. So, look, thank you for letting us have, um, have a microphone and to share our thoughts. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed today's chat with Em and Shelley. We will pop their podcast and their info on how to find them in our show notes and as always we will be back in your ears next week but if you would like to see or hear more of us you can head to our website www.keepitcleaner.com remember we've got a 50% off offer to celebrate International Women's Day and it is only for 24 hours so that will end midnight tonight that is three months of kick for only $24.47. But you have to sign up via our website. If you want to see more of us, you can head to Instagram and find us at Keeper Cleaner, at Laura.henshaw, at Steph Claire Smith. We'll be back in your ears next week. See ya. Bye.